Hello, this is Justin Coleman, Senior Pastor at University UMC, and this is our podcast. I hope these messages engage your mind, touch your heart, and inspire you to serve God and your neighbor. Check us out online at universityumc.church. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we have just crossed uh, out of the season of uh, Epiphany, and we're moving into this time when we celebrate the baptism of the Lord. And so this Sunday, there are a couple different things going on. We uh, will be thinking about baptism. There will be a baptism today, and we'll have a time of baptismal remembrance as we recognize this Sunday in the church year when Jesus uh, was baptized by John in the Jordan. And we've just crossed this wonderful Christmas tide uh, season and the season of Epiphany when we think about the wise men. And we haven't talked very much about uh, the wise men, but I did have a congregant uh, send me this note that I thought I would uh, lift up to the crowd. He, he said, someone told me that wise men were actually firemen because they come from afar. I know, that one, you can blame your own here. Uh, this was not a Pastor Justin one. This I won't tell who it is, so you won't write him any notes. But yeah, so we just come from the season of Epiphany when we think about uh, the wise men coming to see Jesus and now uh, this time of baptismal renewal. We're also beginning a new sermon series uh, this Sunday. We'll be asking, where is God in a number of situations? And today, we'll be asking the question, where is God when I'm exhausted? Where is God when I feel exhausted? And as we prepare to do so, please go with me to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, I pray that you would speak through me and perhaps even in spite of me. And so let the humble words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Where is God when I'm exhausted? Uh, we see something of this exhaustion in Elijah in this passage, and thank you so much for wonderfully reading the passage for us this, this morning. So Elijah, let's just, let me just set the stage a bit. So if we were to look back at the most previous chapter, if you'd go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, you'd see this amazing moment with Elijah in the prophets of Baal. Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And so um, it's this very dramatic scene. It feels like a, an old western where you have Elijah squaring off against these other pagan prophets. And there's this scene where uh, they've got um, their uh, own setup with, a, with a, a, a calf that is going to be um, consumed, supposed to be consumed by fire, and Elijah's got his setup, and, and Elijah says, well, look, you pray to your God and see if your God can, can light this thing on fire. And, and then, you know, they do, and then, you know, nothing happens. And he says, all right, well, let me, let me just, let me try it. 
And so he says, but before I pray, won't you just throw some water on that pile? Yeah, just put some more water on there, you know, just to, just to make it extra, extra wet. And then he prays, and then fire from heaven comes and consumes all of it. And, and everybody says, well, I guess Elijah's God is the true God. And Elisha, you know, says, yeah, I, I did it. And then he says, uh, and then this gets very um, gruesome and complicated, and, and we can talk about the complication in, in another message another day. So then uh, Elijah says, well, okay, so gather up all those false prophets, and, uh, and there's going to be an execution. That is another story for another day, friends. But it is this moment where a whole lot goes the way Elijah wants it to go in the previous chapter. Then in the very next moment, after some pretty dramatic stuff has just happened, Elijah's threatened by Jezebel. Hey, uh, if you did that to, to my guys, I'm sending some folks to get you. And then uh, Elijah is in this place where he is fleeing for his life. And that's what we see at the beginning of of chapter 19. If we were to read those first couple verses, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all Baal's prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with this message, may the gods do whatever they want to me if by this time tomorrow I haven't made your life like one of them. So you think that based on what just happened uh, in the previous chapter, Elijah would say, all right, well, you know, I'm going to pray again, and we'll see what's going to happen to you and the folks that you send, uh, Jezebel. That's, that's, that's not what, what happens. Elijah, in verse 3, was terrified. And so he gets up, he runs for his life, um, and he's trying to essentially get to a territory where Jezebel has no authority. And so he arrived at Beersheba in Judah. Uh, and, and so again, he's just trying to, to get out of the out of her area of territory where she's got no jurisdiction and there can be consequences if she sends folks that far. But he doesn't just stay there. He wants to go a little bit further in. So he goes further into the desert. And there are various ways we can diagnose what Elijah may be going through. He's gone from this, this high to this very deep uh, low. It feels very uh, depressive. Um, we're trying to figure out what's going on with Elijah. He indicates through this conversation with God that he's been at it for a long time. He's been standing up for God for a long time. He's been persistent and he's been consistent with it. And it's just wearing on him. The work is wearing on him in some kind of way. And so God continues to, to speak to Elijah, helping to lift him up out of that moment. Hey, buddy, get up, get something to eat, take care of yourself, then go the next step. And then, hey, buddy, get up, get something to eat, take care of yourself, and then go to the next step. And Finally, 
after all this encouragement that God has been giving him to just get up and take the next step, he finds himself at Mount Horeb. And so the significance here is that, uh, and he's gone to the cave, the scripture says. This is meant to be the place where Moses encounters God, and then God's presence goes by uh, Moses, and, and then we get the Ten Commandments. And so Elijah's showing up to the same place, hoping to have a significant encounter with God. And then we get this, this very dramatic uh, image, begin, images beginning with verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord, and the, the Lord is passing by, and a, a very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart stones before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. So there's been all these dramatic signs, and, and we say, well, maybe I'll find God speaking to me in these most dramatic signs. And sometimes that happens, but that's not the point that God is trying to get over to Elijah here in this moment. There was a sound. There was a sound. And then some translations render this differently. The CEB says there was a sound, thin, quiet. It's taking these Hebrew words that are really descriptive words of the sound. What was the sound? It was thin. It was quiet. And it's in that thin, quiet sound in the midst of that stillness that Elijah hears from the Lord. Where does exhaustion come from? How do we get exhausted today? Elijah experienced it over this rigorous work over a long period of time where he was standing up for God, standing up for what he felt was right, but also receiving lots of resistance along the way. He encountered God, and he also encountered resistance. And my goodness, uh, there were some traumatic moments even in the midst of the work. And so he began to experience a certain kind of fatigue, a certain kind of exhaustion. How do we experience fatigue and exhaustion ourselves today? Sometimes it's, it's due to, the, uh, to our sense of, of outrage <laughs> and moral outrage and, and disgust that we experience uh, in our society. You know, studies show that we experience collective peaks of this during election cycles. I don't know if any of y'all have been, you know, exhausted over this past few days. Uh, I've been paying attention to what's going on uh, in, in Washington. Uh, the, this, this kind of thing happens. And there's, over the last few years, there's been a, a new diagnosis, a diagnosis of outrage fatigue. I mean, everywhere we go, uh, as, we, as we read the paper or as we listen to the news, watch the news, as we read through uh, social media of, of every uh, sort, the things that get the most posts or most reposts are those things that cause us a little bit of, of 
of outrage. And so we're constantly sipping on things that make us outraged, morally outraged. No matter what part of a uh, political spectrum you're on, there are things that make you outraged. And you gather together with groups of people that share your outrage and you talk about it. And then next day, there's going to be something else to be outraged about. And people are becoming fatigued by it. There's this outrage fatigue syndrome because you just can't sustain that every day. This sense of outrage and this sense of disgust. And it's, it's tough because in this culture of outrage and disgust, and I do believe the church ought to critique this culture of it, of outrage and disgust, in it, it's just hard to say anything about anything. Pastors talk about this all the time. It's hard to say anything of consequence to any group of people because as I look around this group of people and a group of people this size, anything I say is going to make someone upset if I talk about anything of significance. I mean, it's easy to think about the highlight reel here. If I say Black Lives Matter and spend like four minutes on it, somebody's going to write me a note at some point during the week. If I say, oh, well, blue lives matter, somebody else is going to write me a note. If I say all lives matter, somebody still whose life matters is going to write me a note. Uh, If I talk about um, uh, rights for LGBTQ folks, uh, someone's going to say, okay, you know, Pastor Justin, you just, I'm good, but just, could you just ease off the pedal a little bit on that one? I mean, there's always going to be something. Uh, if, If I talk about housing, Someone's going to write me a note and say, that's great. Someone's going to say, hey, but you might want to nuance it this way. So anything you talk about, someone's going to be a little upset some of the time. And we have less and less spaces where people who have slight disagreements can come together and have some kind of conversation about it. And that's what we want to be the case. That's what we want in the life of the church, uh, for it to be the case that we can come together and have conversations, even on things that we disagree with, and hold together in a sense of of, of Christian unity, a sense of family uh, together. But in this place of the culture of outrage, it's just harder and harder to find those spaces where no one's going to write you a letter and say, hey, I'm really upset that you said anything about that, or even a passing mention. It's just harder and harder. This culture of, of, of outrage, where it's hard to talk about anything of consequence. Um, we hear uh, in, in our culture this uh, bit of quiet quitting, um, where people are really struggling uh, at work, and people, more and more people and, and across various disciplines will say, this is not what I signed up for. Uh, I'm a teacher and I'm doing this work and, you know, the pandemic is affected in this way. God, it's just not what I think about what's going on in my school. This is just not what I signed up for. 
Um, uh, there have been clergy uh, uh, quitting uh, across the country, deciding to do something else across this pandemic period, mostly because of the politics of the life of the church. And this is not just the Methodist church, other churches, people saying, this is not what I signed up for. If there's something about the, the work, the intensity of the work, the intensity of the opposition in the midst of the work, you kind of get that point. You just say, I am exhausted. I feel a little bit like Elijah. This is not what I signed up for. And I can't seem to escape this cycle of fatigue. I had a clergy person, uh, this has happened in several settings over the last couple of years, uh, where someone will ask, hey, Justin, uh, you seem to generally enjoy your work and enjoy the people that you uh, are working with. Yes, I love my work. I love University Church. That's, that's where I am. And I'm thankful for that. And so folks will say, well, how do you do that? And I've said uh, something like this. I said, you know, a long time ago when I was in seminary, um, I, I really received these words of encouragement, and, and this has never left me. Every place I go, I, I believe that God is at work there. So whatever the work is, I believe that God is at work there. I'd encourage the same for you. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God is at work in that place in some kind of way. So we're just kind of looking out for it. So I say, I always, I presume that. I also presume that there will be something, once I get to a place, even a place I love, there will be something that's disappointing there. And this is not to say that I, I'm disappointed, you know, with, with university church in any way, but in some place, in some conversation, I'm going to have an experience where I'm going to say, gosh, that was a little bit, that was a little bit disappointing, e even in a place that you love. I always assume this. No matter where I go, I always assume it. And I always assume a third thing, that I'm going to try to leave a place It's a little bit better than I found it. So it's that something that I might have been disappointed with at one point is, is maybe hopefully less disappointing when I leave. That's the three things I presume about every single place. I would encourage you, these are things that you can presume about every place that you are, your school, your place of work, institutions that you uh, work with and support. All of those th three things can be true in each of those places. And because of my presumptions, it helps me to some degree to e resist the exhaustion that comes primarily from this sense of disappointment and a lack of being able to see where God is operative in a place or a situation. But it's so easy to get into that mode where you just don't see anything good there. I'm so deeply disappointed, I'm so deeply frustrated, and I can't see where God is operating uh, at all. You know, there's these, these times when we think about burnout and we think about uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, and, and you look at the descriptors there, and even how burnout and PTSD sometimes look the same in the way that they manifest in our, our lives. So doctors will say it takes people who are burnt out upwards of two years, two years to move out of that place of feeling burnt out. So you've got to allow yourself a lot of grace uh, in the midst of that place of burnt out when you're experiencing 
this, you know, I just can't seem to feel refreshed. I've got so much anxiety and detachment and, and it's affecting my mood. And I don't feel creative anymore. I'm just so fatigued all the time. It actually takes a while. And when somebody has, has stayed in that place for a long time, it's easier to get triggered back into that place. And so you might have found a different place of work, but if there's a, a, a trigger there that reminds you of that place when you were in this deep point of exhaustion, you can revert back there quite easily. And so <laughs> the question is, what can we do? What can you do when you're experiencing exhaustion? And where can you find God in the midst of the exhaustion? Well, certainly there are a number of healthy habits that can help someone. I hear someone, heard someone say, you know, I got a dog and my dog really helped me um, move out of this place of exhaustion because I was starting to take care of myself more. I was taking walks and, and it was just great to have that companionship. I mean, so many things can help us in the midst of our exhaustion. But I think we can also learn from Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Elijah here, because Elijah found God in the quiet. Finding the space for quiet is so very important for us in our society. My oldest son uh, is, is really great with language, particularly writing. I mean, just his, his poetry is amazing. He's got the facility with the English, English language that I have, I have never had, certainly on paper. I mean, I, um, I tend to speak uh, in ways that one might consider um, like an extended breeze. I like to say that rather than say long-winded. Uh, an extended breeze. Uh, um, but when I write, I kind of like write like an engineer. Why write a paragraph in what you can say in a sentence? Um, and so just these two different ways of, of working with language. But, but my son is just so, so good at uh, language. And one day he, he came down and he said, Dad, I'm just having trouble writing. I said, hey, bud, just... Uh, this works for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Uh, take some time. Leave your phone. Leave your computer. Uh, go outside. Find some kind of place where there is silence, and you allow your brain to get bored for one solid hour. And if and if after the hour you just there's nothing coming, just you know go and do something else. But allow your brain to be bored for one solid hour. And after it experiences just a few cycles of boredom, it's like I got to do something. And more likely than not, it's going to launch into some kind of creativity. And sure enough, it works. You know, I figured that, you know, there's enough uh, DNA shared between him and me that it just might have worked. And thankfully it did. But it was really that little bit of quiet helped to release something. Well, also that little bit of quiet can help us to tune in to God and what God might be saying to us. Where is God when I'm exhausted? God is always with you. God is always with you all the time. This is a truth. This is a reality. So God is with you in the midst of that, but sometimes it takes the thin quiet for us to be able to recognize God there in that space. This is why Sabbath matters. Uh, a, a wisdom in Scripture, right at the very beginning where God says, look, 
work for six days, sure, I work for six days, then take some time to rest because you begin to see things differently, hear things differently, uh, re, um, recenter yourself, recenter yourself with the community that is around you, recenter yourself in your relationship with God. That time of regular, quiet matters. So I encourage practices of prayer like the Ignatian prayer of examine each and every day, just a little time to defragment and take stock of what's going on in your life, what you're feeling, what you're seeing, and how God is interacting with you. And so that's my challenge uh, this week. You know, we, we've all got lots going on, and the, and the beginning of a year has a certain kind of extra busyness attached to it as we all try to catch up to the things that we neglected for just a little while over an extended break. But take just a little time every day for some quiet, to listen to your body, to listen to yourself, maybe to listen to Others, the things that happened during the day that you didn't quite pay as much attention to in the moment, but in a time of quiet, you, you re recollect and pay a different kind of attention to. But also that time to connect with God and hear God in the thin, quiet space of your life. And at least one day out of the week, try it in some kind of way to practice a kind of Sabbath. For me, it's Saturdays. I go full uh, Jewish community on this one uh, because that tends to be a time when I can set out extended time for, for family and friends and things like that. It's just a time of, of quiet recentering. So my challenge is to take that time, to set it aside and, and to treat it as if it's holy because God is there. And wherever God is, is holy ground, is holy space. So let's take time to experience God in the thin, quiet. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can visit us at universityumc.church where you can find services, events, and other ways you can get involved. Remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week. We hope the peace of Christ is with you. And we hope to see you soon.